This is The Guardian. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. For the past two weeks, behind the scenes, negotiators, fueled in part, it would seem, by the infamous Scottish drink Iron Brew, were working on a draft text of the key decisions to come out of COP26. It contained a series of measures to build on what was agreed at COP21 in Paris in 2015, resetting the world's course towards the climate action so urgently required. The first draft was published on Wednesday and may be finalised today. May is a key word here because it needs the agreement of 197 different parties. It's the final sprint of a marathon fortnight. From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly Daily. The final episode from COP26. Have we made any progress on saving the planet? I spoke to The Guardian's environment correspondent, Fiona Harvey, and environment editor, Damien Carrington, about what to make of it all and what might happen next. I started off by asking Damien about some of the most notable things to come out of the past two weeks. Well, we're into the second week now, and the first week saw a lot of glitzy announcements around stopping deforestation by 2030, cutting methane, some action on coal. Some of those have slightly unravelled, as some of the countries seem to have said they weren't going to do what they signed up to. And there were some interesting scientific takes, so some that were quite optimistic, based on 2050 net zero promises, suggesting we might be on track for 1.8 or 1.9. But then following that, on Tuesday, there was a report from Climate Action Tracker, which showed that based on the near term, which is what really matters, the near term 2030 pledges and action were actually on track for 2.4, which is pretty catastrophic. So that's probably the the highlights. We've also had the uh, draft text as well, the first draft text of the final decision which we've been poring over. And I wonder if you can kind of step through this draft agreement. I mean, it's only seven pages long. What, what is it setting out to do? So, in 2015, the outcome of the Paris summit was a new treaty that set out these temperature goals for the first time and that 
uh, every country in the world basically was bound to respect. We won't get an outcome like that this time. This isn't about writing a new treaty or a new agreement or anything like that. This is about clarifying some aspects of the 2015 Paris Agreement and about ensuring that we get fresh commitments under that agreement that will keep us within 1.5 degrees. Fresh commitments on emissions, fresh commitments on things like climate finance for poor countries. So if we get that, then that means that the Paris Agreement will be fulfilled essentially. But it's really difficult to get that, and we may not get all of that here at this COP. All of these different issues are laid out in this document, and this document has legal force under the Paris Agreement. So whatever goes into that final text, that cover decision, as it's called, when COP President Alok Sharma brings down his gavel at the end, that is a legal document that everyone at this conference will have agreed to. So, Damien, obviously things are going to change in the next couple of days, but were there things in this draft that you thought quite positive? Uh, yes, there were. So the bit around the need to cut emissions by how much, i.e. a half by 2030, which is pretty extraordinary given that emissions are actually still going up at the moment. And there was quite a strong focus on going for 1.5, which in the Paris Agreement is still only a, an ambition rather than a firm target. So all of that was really positive. And also, rather extraordinarily, for the first time ever in a COP decision, and there's been 26 of them, in this draft as a mention of the word fossil fuel and it's to do with removing or ending fossil fuel subsidies and also phasing out coal. Now whether that survives into the final agreement here in uh, Glasgow we'll have to wait and see there'll certainly be some countries who are trying pretty hard to get that taken out. I mean it's it feels quite shocking that this is the first time it's been mentioned. Well, it is because, of course, you know, we've known for decades that uh, fossil fuels are the principal cause of the uh, climate crisis. But I think what it shows is that uh, how difficult it is to get 197 countries to agree on anything. And that's how this whole process works. It's done by consensus. There's no voting. There's no you know, compulsion from anybody. And so the problem is that that type of process often leads you towards the lowest common denominator. So this draft will go through several iterations. So there are things in there that probably won't stay in. It will be mauled by countries in the next couple of days. Um, It's already being mauled as we speak, and a new draft is in preparation. There are different interpretations uh, within the draft at the moment of what various obligations mean to do with all kinds of technical issues from carbon trading to uh, a thing called loss and damage but the substance of the draft is what we should be looking for and the key things that we need to look for in this draft is does it do enough to keep 1.5 alive and Damien what's been the reaction that you've seen to this version of the draft well it is just a draft but The overall reaction seemed to be that it was quite strong on cutting emissions and it seemed like the science had been taken on board in terms of the urgency of doing that. But what most observers saw was that there was a 
big, big gap in finance, and there's three tracks to that. One is $100 billion a year to poorer countries, which was promised in 2009 and still hasn't been delivered. That's for clean development, so they can develop their countries without going to coal and so on. There's a second track on adaptation, which is obviously preparing people for the impacts of climate change, which are already baked in, floods, wildfires, droughts, all sorts of disasters. And there's a third track, which is probably the most controversial of all of them, called loss and damage, and that's to do with rebuilding after climate disasters that cannot now be avoided and can't be adapted to either and so most of the most vulnerable countries are very angry really that that hasn't uh, made you know much bigger impression in the text and as well as some omissions one of the things that struck me as i was looking through it was the use of words like urging encouraging inviting you know it seems like asking instead of telling what should we make of this wording What you have to remember about this wording is that it's to be taken in the context of the Paris Agreement, which is a highly complex legal document, uh, a major international treaty that binds 197 countries. So actually, although those terms might appear weak to the person in the street, actually in the context of the legal framework of the Paris Agreement, they are strong. They have a particular legal resonance within the treaty. So urging actually is as strong as you can get. Damien, like Fiona said, this document is about to be mauled by the countries. I mean, with only a few days left, what's the mood in the blue zone right now? Well, it depends who you are. Obviously, lots of different uh, countries amongst the 197 that are here want uh, a lot of different things. The um, lead negotiator, Archie Young, said today that uh, one country had demanded that all the text about reducing emissions was taken out of the text completely, which, of course, won't happen, but it can show that there's a lot of action going on behind the scenes. I think it's it's always like this at this stage of the COP. You know, we've only got um, really a few hours to go, so there's a lot to play for. There's a lot of brinkmanship going on and there's a lot of sleepless people and uh, we'll see how it turns out. I have seen a couple of delegates asleep in the corridors over the past couple of days. And so, Fiona, what does happen in the last few hours of an event like this? People argue over the fine details of the text. So every word is subject to an enormous degree of scrutiny. One of the difficult things is that no country wants to allow their bargaining chips to be taken out of play. So that means that really they want to keep all of the elements of the decision in play until the last minute. So rather than getting sort of, you know, what might appear to be a less complex passage sorted out, and then, you know, you can put that to one side and say, there we go, we've done that. It's very hard to do that because if countries want to use that passage as a bargaining chip to get something else in another part of the the, the text, then they need that to stay open. So that's part of the juggling act here that the presidency has to do, is to try and make progress across all fronts while not actually closing down any of the discussions, really. That's an incredibly hard thing to do. A lot of people have already chalked this cop up to a failure and Fiona when we well they're idiots frankly <laughs> and really that's just not helpful and you know that that's the kind of that's the kind of stupid way of thinking that has got us into trouble before mm. saying oh cop 26 was a failure doesn't help 
to move on with that process, actually. And it didn't help uh, the last time that people called a major copper failure in 2009 in Copenhagen because, in fact, Copenhagen did produce an agreement which did produce progress on greenhouse gas emissions that was important, but the fact that so many people were lining up to trash it just meant that for the next few years after it, there was no progress. Well, we can't afford to do that again. How do you both feel now about the direction that things are headed after COP? It's absolutely crucial that this COP sets out a way forward from Glasgow that stays within 1.5 degrees. A lot of progress has been made at this COP because before the start of this COP, we didn't have lots of countries with long-term net zero targets. Now, we have 90% of countries have long-term net zero targets. Some are more credible than others, but at least once you've got such a target, it can be scrutinised and you can be held to it. Similarly, on targets for 2030, which are the, the crucial thing. When we were coming into this COP, the targets that countries already had in place would have taken us well over three degrees of warming. Now, according to Climate Action Tracker, we're somewhere around 2.4 degrees. It's not adequate yet, but it does represent quite a large degree of progress. So you have to look at it and say, well, progress has been made. It's not far enough. It's not fast enough. But how do we then move on from here? And so what this COP has to do is to take that seriously, the fact that this is the beginning, not the end, and show where we go from here. So coming back next year with new commitments and managing that process, uh, looking forward to 2023, because 2023 is another important year under the Paris Agreement, because that's when you do this thing called the global stock tick. And what that means is that all of the commitments that countries have made have to be assessed in relation to the Paris goals. And Damien... Progress, not fast enough, not far enough, but taking us in the right direction. What are your thoughts on where we're going? Like, of course, I agree with Fiona. It's, it's a question of whether you track progress as relative or absolute, right? So the relative progress is good. You know, there's been uh, plenty of countries coming forward, plenty of sectors of the economy making more pledges and, and taking action. And, and that's the relative progress. But in absolute terms, are we on track uh, for that 1.5 uh, world? No, we're not. You know, the climate crisis is a slow motion disaster and our escape is going to be a slow motion escape but it is about keeping up that momentum and I think that one of the things perhaps that gets a little overlooked is the signal that these cops can send to the wider world so for example nobody's questioning the science nobody's talking about you know climate change not being real no one's talking about not having to reduce emissions and out in the real world you know businesses and, and other people are going to start thinking well actually you know the future is looking pretty low carbon and, and, and green so maybe investing in the coal mines or other dirty industries isn't such a good idea and we've seen that you know in the renewable sector that's 
uh, grown very rapidly. It's now the cheapest form of electricity in two-thirds of the world, and soon it will be the cheapest electricity you can get anywhere. But there's still a long way to go. There are sectors like food and farming, aviation shipping, some heavy industries which are quite far behind. Concrete and steel are starting to move. But, you know, cops like this and, as I say, the big message they send out from all the world leaders can be quite helpful in, in again, keeping up that momentum, which is absolutely essential because, you know, one of the things we've noticed here at COP is people from all around the world, from poorer countries, indigenous peoples, uh, people of colour, women have been strongly represented. Um, all of these groups uh, suffer disproportionately. And this is life and death for many of them, as uh, Mia Motley said right at the beginning of the COP. So it's absolutely serious and absolutely crucial this momentum continues. 1.5 is what we need to survive. Two degrees, yes, SG, is a death sentence for the people of Antigua and Barbuda, for the people of the Maldives, for the people of Dominica and Fiji, for the people of Kenya and Mozambique, and yes, for the people of Samoa and Barbados. We do not want that dreaded death sentence. And we've come here today to say, try harder, try harder, because our people, the climate army, the world, the planet, needs our actions now, not next year, not in the next decade. Thank you. As we recorded, it was being reported that a new draft was going to emerge overnight. You can read all about that and all of our other brilliant COP coverage at theguardian.com. And that's it from Science Weekly here in Glasgow. To hear about the outcome of this crucial summit, check out our sister podcast, Today in Focus, next week. They'll be analysing the final text and discussing where we're headed next. We'll be back to our usual bi-weekly episodes on Tuesday, exploring why some people's sense of smell goes haywire after a COVID infection and whether it can ever go back to normal. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Lexus. Some things do more than their stated functions because exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. With its exceptional capability, you'll see possibilities you never knew existed, sending you far outside your comfort zone. 
But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. 